today's interview is with Philip McKernan, who's the best-selling author and personal growth coach. He's worked with the Canadian Olympic team as well as many large corporations. He's the author of four books, the latest of which is called Rich on Paper, Poor on Life, which we'll be talking about today. So let's dive straight into the interview. Well, Philip, thank you very much for joining me on the call. Appreciate it and uh, delighted to be here, Barry. So just for a bit of background, I first met Philip when um, I attended, a, it was a self-help personal growth type conference in Mexico. And I saw Philip speak there and was really impressed by how he, kind of in a confrontational manner, but strips away a lot of the, of the bullshit that goes around self-development and self-help and went straight to the core of it with the audience there. And then following on from that, I went and did a, a, a retreat workshop with him here in Ireland, actually, which was, which was really great about this time last year. So I wanted to get Philip on. He's got this new book out recently, and it's called Rich on Paper, Poor on Life. And it speaks very much to what I've spoken to you before about, about this, this idea of meaning, finding, you know, that the, the, the real way to find happiness is, is through finding meaning. And um, Philip, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll just begin and start off on that. How, how did that evolve for you? How did this book evolve for you? Yeah, thanks, Barry. The, 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 this book has been evolving um, for, for many years. Um, I often believe that people often say that everybody's got one book inside them, one book that they, they have within them if they really sit down or take that time to, to, to kind of write it out or process it if they've got the interest or not. Um, I often think we've got two books in us. Some, one is more intellectual, the one that we think will sell, the one that we think is, is more marketable, and the one that we think the audience needs to needs or wants to, wants to hear, so to speak. Uh, I believe often we have two books inside us, and and this would definitely be the latter of that, of those two, I think. And over the last, uh, I would say this has been kind of gathering a momentum within me for probably about five five years, I'd say. Um, and I, I just it didn't feel the right time to write it. But this is a book that uh, may not win a Pulitzer Prize, um, but I believe it's a book that people need. Um, need to hear. It's a message that people need to hear or be reminded of, including myself, by the way. Uh, I, I'm not here to preach about, um, you know, externally. It's, it's something that I almost needed to remind myself of. So it's been going on for some time, but I, I have to say, I think one of the one of the big motivators for it was watching our fellow countrymen, um, you know, Barry, it's unusual for me to be doing an interview in Ireland. Often I'm doing interviews in, in the US or in Canada. Yeah. So it's great great to hear the, the familiar voice. But I'm speaking about our countrymen and women, including perhaps ourselves, that, that lost the run of ourselves, uh, assuming that in the midst of the Celtic Tiger, the big economic ar- boom that Ireland experienced, that if we made enough money and created enough wealth, then we'd have the so-called freedom to be happy and do what we wanted to do. And of course, the reality is that often and most often does not happen. Yeah, yeah. And it's really linked in with your own personal story, isn't it, of that, that, that journey through the Celtic Tiger and then you really finding purpose and meaning. Isn't that right? Yeah, very much so. And and I tried to make it about external stories. Um, but but really what ended up happening was I, I ended up becoming fairly open and vulnerable in relation to my own my own journey of of just being lost. And if I can refer back to, you know, you mentioned the the retreat, etc. But I remember there was a lady that turned up one day in my door and she was an Irish lady, beautiful woman. She she's uh she lives in uh, Clonmel. And I remember her, her, I just said, you know, why are you here? Why are you here for this week? And she said, uh, I think I just got lost along the way in the busyness of life and the busyness of being a, being a parent, in her case, a mother. And, um, 
I said, can I ask you a curious question? I might feel a bit weird, but I said, did you ever know who you are to begin with? Did you ever at any point really sit back or have a sense or a feeling that you knew who you were? And, and her overwhelming answer was uh, no. She said she'd never really figured out who she was. And for me personally, I think I can sum it up by saying I spent most of my life trying to fit in because I was so concerned about being alienated and not being accepted. Um, and I've, I've, I wouldn't say I've turned the corner, but I would consider myself turning the corner of actually getting more back to who I am at the core, believing and trusting in my own, my own intuition and my own voice, but being lost for many years uh, in the Celtic Tiger times, chasing the money, trying to buy real estate, trying to fit in, trying to massage the ego and uh, was doing all these things for all the wrong reasons and it, it some way speaks to my journey of evolving from that place to doing something that fundamentally nurtures me and my soul not just my intellect and you know so in the book I think you do have numerous different case studies of people who we would view as very successful people in different areas of their life be it financially or whatever and then these are people then who discovered that maybe what they were chasing wasn't really what they should have been chasing. That this this uh, this ladder that they were climbing up uh, was maybe up against the wrong wall. Is that is that what you found? Yeah, I, I think um, you know some people refer to me as the anti-goal setting guy, and I don't think that's entirely true. But I, I think I am anti-goals when it comes to creating goals that are from a place of of a lack of awareness and real understanding and who we are. And the big caveat here, Barry, and you and I probably both know this better than than most, uh, either personally or professionally witnessing people, is that often they're unaware of that fact. Somebody will say to me, "This is a goal I have of building a real estate portfolio or a wealth portfolio or, or anything for that matter, living in a city." building a business. And I'll say, well, how authentic is that? And often they'll go, oh, absolutely, it's 100% authentic. This is absolutely what I want. And I know for certain this is, but yeah, that's, that's often what they think they want. And even that answer is very heady. It's not very grounded. Um, and one of the things that I find myself picking up the pieces of is, is having to challenge people subtly, somewhat, sometimes not so subtly, in terms of the authenticity of the goals, dreams, and aspirations that they have set out with. And of course, the other problem here is that often we're we're caught in this place where we think persistence is king. It's one of the most wonderful gifts that we have either in life or business. And it is to some extent, assuming you're not walking towards the edge of a cliff, uh, persistence can often bring you to the, the wrong direction uh, for many, many, many years. And I oft, I can't tell you how many times, in fact, I would go as far as to say, Barry, this is a big statement, every single human being that has ever crossed my path has a degree of unauthentic um, dreams, aspirations, or goals to some extent, some greater than others, but sometimes people come to me with goals and aspirations that they want, and they're so far removed in who they are from who they are. Um, it's it, it, it's it's scary and it's saddening and it's and it's and it's it also gives me a lot of impetus to keep going and doing the work I do. So why is that though? Why do people have these unauthentic goals? How how does this come about? Do you think? Well, I mean, you know, there's a many, many different ways I could go with that answer. Um, and it's a great question and, and might sound very simple. But I don't know about you, but when I walk through the schools of the education system in Ireland uh, from one class to the next, and, and I don't mean to knock the education system completely because I'm sure there's some great in it. But for me, I, earned, I, I, I end up learning copious amounts of information um, that, quite frankly, I've never probably since used in my life. But I never, ever came across that classroom that says, come in and figure out who you are. Come in and get to know your gifts, not your talents. Leave your talents aside. Get to know what your gifts are. I, they were too busy telling me that you're no good in maths, so you need to work in maths, where there could have been another 
aspect or, or not just subject, but aspect of life that I could have had this hidden dream or talent around. So I think we're, 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 we're conditioned uh, from a very early age. I think that we really deeply, deeply, deeply as human beings want to be accepted and actually loved. Uh, I think we're obsessed by what people think about us as humans. A lot of us think we're not, but I think if, we, if we're honest with ourselves and we take a step back. So if we're obsessed with what people think of us, obviously that drives a huge amount of our thought process and our aspirations. And then take our closest people, like our parents, for example, mm-hmm. you can multiply that by three to four, if not five times. So we end up adapting what we think people want us to do are the dreams and aspirations of our parents or society. And un- unconsciously often go down that path and start chasing these things when it's not who are or what we want in the core. Yeah, and you know what I find great about your work is that it's it's not about this kind of overnight thing. It's about making these tweaks. So if you t- if you're talking about finding your authentic self or getting back in touch with your authentic self, even just beginning that process, you teach it in a way that's kind of about tweaking it ever so slightly, isn't that right? Yeah, I, I think unfortunately today um, there's never been as much information available um, in the history of mankind and the accessibility of that information has never been so accessible in the history of mankind through all sorts of tools and, and apps and, and, and devices. Um, but yet one could argue that that arguably we're, we're also in a, in, in a bit of a, a challenging phase in, in humanity because the amount of people who are in the wrong jobs, wrong relationships, wrong cities, wrong countries and everything else is, is quite staggering. Hence the reason a lot of us are suffering from a lot of mental disorders and anxiety and so on and so forth. Um, you know, speaking a little bit about, about what you do, um, but but you know, to me, people are looking for that quick fix, and often they'll say, "No, no, 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 it's a process. It's, it, it, it'll take time." But really, secretly, they have this huge expectation that it's going to happen. So to me, it's like a dial, not a switch, and. I am not looking for people who are coming in looking for this massive, huge aha moment. It's because that is not sustainable. It's like someone who says, yeah, giving up the fags tomorrow morning. I'm rushing out. I'm going to go to the gym every day this week, maybe twice a day. And I'm going to meditate three times a day. Yes, they might succeed at it, but likely is that they'll stumble and fall and retract backwards uh, within six to seven or eight days where I'm looking for sustainable long-term change. But the biggest thing about my approach, I suppose, and I'm not saying it's unique to me, but is that I'm not looking to tell them what they should do with their lives. Excuse me. I'm looking to uncover what it is they want within themselves. So they own that journey and that change. It's not down to me. Yeah. And I would say what, um, I mean, what, what is unique about your work is how intuitive you are as a person, I think, and how you also then get people to really get back in touch with their own intuitive sense because, you know, you talk about how when you have that real connection with this internal guidance system, um, you're, you won't be misled. You'll stay on the right path. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I just can't. If there's any gift or any, um, you know, people describe it as a gift. And, and for me to describe it might come across as being arrogant. But often people say there's a gift. You have the ability to use that intuitive nature to really see and feel people, uh, which I think is probably even more important. And I think that it's true. It's there. I'm not suggesting it's a gift or not, but it's there. But honestly, I think everyone has it. I just think we've forgotten to trust it. I think we've never been taught how to use it. I think what we've done is we've, we, we live in our heads too much. We spend too much time in our heads. And that's a, that's a lot of, again, conditioning and information overload. Um, um, and, you know, we all have this innate ability to intuitively know, not, not guess, not think, but know 
what's right. And there was a client of mine, Oliver, uh, who beautifully came out with a quote one day and he said, I'm sorry, uh, what is it? He said, I'm sorry I, tr- I listened to my gut, said no one ever. And, yeah, and, and I, think, I, think, I think it's fantastic. I was going to steal the quote, but no, I, he, he probably tracked me down on Facebook. But um, I just think it was a beautiful illustration of, you know, how often have we stepped into a business context or a relationship or, or bought a property or opened a business or said yes to somebody. And we've ignored that intuitiveness. We've followed the head exclusively and it's blown up or come back to haunt us. I mean, it, it, it always happens. And it's just trying to get back to trusting that, back to some sort of degree of simplicity. And there's lots of ways that you can create that framework as well. Yeah, and just to, to give people an idea, so what we're really talking about is, is just that literal feeling coming from your gut, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's quite a physical sensation as well. Absolutely. And there's all sorts of signs to back it up, which, which quite frankly, it's not my, my forte is all, the, all the, the technical data. But there's a lot of scientific research suggesting that, uh, you know, the, the, the heart and that solar place, if you want to call it that, has has um, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot more going on there in terms of activity, uh, electrons or whatever. I'd, again again I'm not the guy to explain that, but uh, it, than just the brain. And I think the brain is an important tool. It's a calculator. It's a computer. It's like my laptop. Um, but I I I, I try. Um, I actually try the wrong term because I think when you try to listen to your gut, you're forcing it. It's just I've 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 learned how to trust it over a fairly long period of time and I still fall into the trap Barry of 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 not trusting it but that gets less and less and less as you lean in and trust it and see how it unfolds so you know the listeners here most of them would suffer from general anxiety or panic attacks and um, in your book you mention you, you talk about fear but in terms of what our greatest fear might be do you want to speak a little bit about that yeah, I mean, uh, and, and I assume we're talking the same thing, and if we're not, you can correct me, but I, but I believe that, you know, often I, I speak at, at conferences, and that's how you originally heard about myself or came across me, and people have this this assumption or make this assumption that, Jesus, when once I get, you know, Philip McKernan gets up on stage, you know, he's relaxed and he's chilled out, but quite frankly, I, I want to vomit and puke my guts up before I get on stage every single time. In fact, I was nervous coming into this call, um, and, I, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not embarrassed about that. I, I, I actually... To me, I think it's a natural state. I think it's a natural thing. Now, if it continually lingers on, and that's your expertise, Barry, um, it, it obviously doesn't serve. But, you know, I, I sat with that one day because someone said to me, oh, yeah, because public speaking is the greatest fear in, 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 that humans have. Mm-hmm. And, again, just listening intellectually, I go, yeah, 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 that makes sense. But I didn't accept it. I sat with it, and I, I felt that. And I said, okay, but even if that's true, what, what is really the fear? And I sat with that, and I said... So the fear really is that a human goes onto a stage, a man or a woman stands on a stage, and they're scared to stand on stage. But really, what are they scared about? They're ultimately scared about making a mistake, saying the wrong thing, being judged by the audience. But if you go even deeper than that, they're afraid, and they're scared, and they're fearful of the fact that the audience won't love them. Now, that's not necessarily a goal or aspiration of me when I get on stage for people to love me. Um, um, but but ultimately, we're talking about that less in a speaking context, but also, but more important in life. And I think really what it comes down to is that our biggest fear as people, as humans, is that we will not be loved by other people. Mm-hmm. And if you link that back to authenticity, this is where it gets quite frightening, actually. It's actually very frightening to be, number one, to realize this, but even more frightening, Barry, to, to be unaware of this fact. If that's true, if that's true... What it does is it illustrates and compounds 
what we talked about briefly earlier, and that is there our need to please and therefore adapt what we think our parents want us to do. And often expectations from our parents or society doesn't come in what they say. It often comes in what they don't say. It's not the parent sitting there to little Johnny saying, now, Johnny, you need to be a pilot. And, you, and if you're not a pilot, I'm not going to love you. It's often Johnny says, Daddy, I'm thinking of being a carpenter. All right. OK, well, you can do whatever you want. It, you know, but I was a pilot and your grandfather was a pilot, but you can do whatever you want. Really, what he's told him is you can be whatever you want, but I won't be as proud of you. And I won't really love you, mm. whether it's true or not, unless you're a pilot. So. I really believe our biggest fear is, is as humans, as people, as individuals, is that we will not be loved and therefore accepted and all the other things that come with that from other people. Yeah, and that, and that manipulation, it can be so subtle, can't it? It can, it can happen in such subtle ways you wouldn't even be aware of it. Correct. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think I mentioned to you before, I, I always have this problem with the word passion, only because passion is... Um, it seems a bit overused and passion is, is something that people talk about. You know, when people talk about finding your passion um, and p passion is something that's, you know, it's meant to be fun and exciting. Um, but in your book, you're really more um, approaching it from a point of, point of view of meaning, finding meaning. Um, is, that, is that correct? Would, it, would that be right in saying that? Well, I was going to write about passion, but I knew you'd get a copy of the book and, <laughs> and, you'd, and you'd have a go at me about passion. <laughs> no, no, you and I have had a, a couple of very good conversations and a couple of jokes around the whole passion. And I, and, and, and I have to say, you know, there's an evolution in terms of, of the work. I mean, no different if we went back and looked at what you spoke about maybe two years ago even. There's, a, there's an evolution and a, and a natural evolution that can happen, again, if you trust that intuition. But I think I would have probably, honestly, hands up, spoken probably more about passion a few years ago than I do now. Um, and for a number of reasons. Number one is I think passion is absolutely overused. Um, but also, I think passion is mixed up with excitement. Mm. People think, like, for example, if I'm in a job, and I don't want to be crude here, but I could also say this in a relationship. If I'm in a relationship that's, that's boring or is not exciting, and that goes for anybody, um, you know, that's where often you know, people have affairs. It's not that they're passionate about a stranger they meet. It, it's excitement away from something that's not serving them or they're choosing not to work on or step into. In the same way that if someone has a day job that they really hate, and they come across, um, say, real estate, or they come across, say, the idea of a coffee shop or something like that, they might go, oh, yeah, I'm really passionate about coffee. They might like coffee, and it might offer this sense of excitement away from their current job. But is that really passion? Is it really excitement? Uh, and so on. But I, I, you're absolutely right. This book is all about meaning. Mm. And I think that uh, you know, happiness is another one of these things that's, that's, that's been done to done to death and and often people say I, I, what you want i just want to be happy and then if you ask them what does that mean to them often they're not entirely sure what happiness really is and what needs to happen so i i'm, I'm really leaning into if you start to derive meaning yeah. uh, in your life from i break into three areas you know the work that we do the relationship within ourselves, and 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 then therefore the relationships outside of ourselves um, and you start to derive real meaning in those areas i think the byproduct the automatic um, feeling and sense uh, and, and emotion is going to be happiness. So, yeah, it's not about passion. It's more on the happiness front. Because uh, as well with the passion, passion comes and goes, doesn't it? Passion can wane. You know, you might be very passionate about, for example, a musical instrument for a number of years and then 
you find you're not so passionate about it. You can kind of come in and out of passion, but often with meaning, it's it, it's, it's kind of more constant, or it, it seems like a more of, along the lines of a calling or a deeper purpose. Um, yeah. And uh, going back to to that book, Doctor Victor Frankel's, you know, you can see how meaning can be applied to really difficult situations like a concentration camp, and how people found meaning in that experience and and were able to transcend it. Because I also talk to people who who would listen to these calls about finding meaning in their anxiety, you know. So giving this this horrible experience a purpose, and and using that to to kind of drive your own recovery as well, so that you know it it, it keeps motivating you, keeps you on track. Yeah, and that's great. You, you you've touched on a number of different things there, but I think you know passion might get you up each morning, but I think meaning keeps you going for years. It gets you up each year. It 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 it, it drives you at a much deeper level. The word I love. And I'm not necessarily saying they are beautifully correlated, but the word I love is lo- longing. You know, what's your longing? Like it's 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 deeper than surface. Surface uh, stuff is excitement and, and perhaps passion, um, but well, what's your longing runs much deeper. And uh, the the other thing you said there towards the end, and I think we're talking to the same thing here, is 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 seeing the seeing the magic in the pain or the magic in the shit. Excuse my directness, but often you know we often feel we all all carry some sort of you know, anxiety or, or bullshit or some, not, sorry, not anxiety, bullshit, but all, some story or we carry our shit around and we also pass our shit on to other people. But the things that we experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they all have a place. And if you can find meaning in something that hasn't um, been a very positive experience, if you can find some sort of meaning in that, uh, and often that meaning is is sharing what it is. It's not actually having a solution. Often, you know, if someone's you know had a very significant negative experience in their life, sometimes by sharing it, what it does is it allows other people to share their part or to feel more human. And by in that sharing comes an awful lot of meaning, which ultimately helps that person um, process and mend um, and and recover and, and and not allow that thing to label them and control them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and and it's this is why I think your work and this book in particular is so good, rich on paper, poor in life, because you're you're just going to that real deeper level with people. And there was something in it um, that really struck me, which was about about public speaking. And you said, um, I thought it was very good. You said, if you're going to do a talk, now you might have to help me with this, but it was basically, if you're going to do a talk, what topic would you speak about that you might have to hold back the tears on? So that's that you know isn't that you know you're really going to the core of it. It's not something okay. You're passionate about. I love this thing, so I'm going to talk about it. I'm excited about it. But what if you had to talk about something that you actually had to restrain yourself from crying about? You felt so deeply about it. Yeah, and and if I may, I I think the best way to illustrate that very quickly is the actual story around that. I mean, you know, there's a lady who came to me and she said she's uh, she's doing her first talk ever. She wanted ten minutes of my time just to check in. I'd worked with this lady um, for for a period of time, and she wanted to um, check in around the subject matter and get my opinion. And she came on. She said, "I'm going to talk about goal setting and everything else." And I sarcastically as as sometimes only the Irish can do best, uh, I said, uh, oh, I'm so inspired, I've got goosebumps, and she knew me well enough to call me on it, and I won't tell you what she called me on the phone, but I just said to her, listen, I said, I appreciate that's where you, you may want to go intellectually in your head, and it feels safe and everything else, but if you were to speak about something that you could not hold back the tears, what would it be? And I'm, t- I'm telling you, Barry, she didn't even take a breath mm. in order to answer. She just went, bullying. And I said, oh, you were bullied. She goes, no, I was the bully, and this is a small lady, you know, quite you know, powerful but gentle in many respects. And uh, I said, tell me about it. And she went on to explain how she bullied people and the shame she had around it and everything else. She said, you think, she said, I can't speak about that. And I said, why? She said, I'd cry. 
And again, if you think about that, going back to what we talked about either, it's about what people will think of her if she cried. Yeah. I said, well, you know what you need to speak about? She went, she spoke, she cried, they cried, she got a standing ovation. And after that, she got invited to speak in dozens of schools across northern Canada and Alberta primarily to speak to hundreds, if not thousands of young people about bullies and about being bullied. So if she went and talked about goal setting and kept it all together and didn't cry and played it safe and, 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 and ensured everyone loved her and all that kind of stuff, which is an illusion because they're not going to love her, where when she opened up and got vulnerable, they accepted her emotionally at a level that was ordinarily unavailable. So the, the thing we're afraid of keeps us from actually t- attaining the thing we want, if that makes any yeah, sense whatsoever. Yeah. I hope it's it crazy. does. crazy. Yeah. It, it does. Yeah. And, um, but that's, that's the little story, and I think what that answer is probably, hopefully, by giving the actual story, uh, yeah. makes it a little bit clearer. It does. Good. Well, look, Philip, I'm not going to keep you much longer. Thanks very much. I think we've really hit on some really core ideas here. There's a, there's, even just in this short interview, there's a hell of a lot in that. Um, so, you know, I, I think the book, Rich on Paper, Poor on Life, where can people find out about it? Yeah, if they just go on to richonpaperbook.com, richonpaperbook.com, and there's links to um, Amazon, whether it's an electronic version or a hard version, um, on that site. And it's also available on Amazon in various different parts of the world in both formats, electronic and, 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 a, and a hard book as well. Okay, great. And before you go, Philip, give us a bit of an idea then of, of what, I mean, you have obviously now found meaning in the work that you're doing. How do you see things going forward? Are you going to continue doing what you're doing do you love doing it? Tell us a little bit about the own, your own passion that you found in, in this work. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, I to sum it up, and actually I think Viktor Frankl, who you referred to, you know, I'm, I'm not a big reader, I, I, I'm dyslexic myself, so reading is always a challenge. But I think, uh, I think, and I could be wrong, you might correct me on this, is that you know, his meaning ultimately became about helping other people find theirs. And, and you know, I, I, not to steal from him, but ultimately I think to some extent that's what I'm doing. Um, there is no greater joy. I work with some of the wealthiest. I mean, coming this December, I'm going to be brought down to L.A. to work with um, a group of some of the wealthiest families in, in America and, and therefore some of the wealthiest families in the world. Um, and these people are all billionaires. And uh, my job is to help them derive meaning through their relationships with themselves and externally w- with their family. Um, so, you know, with respect, I don't, get a, I don't get turned on necessarily if a client makes more money. Um, most of our clients are reporting greater income greater profitability uh, within within their own businesses. But it doesn't turn me on, Barry. What turns me on is when I hear back from somebody that their, their relationship with their husband, their wife, or their partner has deepened, the relationship with their children has connected, or the relationship within themselves. And that, to me, is real, real, real meaning. So to me, I'll never change ever. I'll do nothing other than what I do. How I do it will change, whether it's through documentaries, whether it's through interviews, whether I, I, I do kind of more online stuff, whether there's television. I'm going to be doing a bit more video-based stuff in the future. So how I do it will change. What I do is, and this is it for the rest of my life, guaranteed. Great. And I know people can also find you on philipmckernan.com, is that right? Yeah, we're just we've with the site there, the current site, which some people like. I, to me, it's too busy and there's too much going on. So the new philipmckernan.com site will be available, I suspect, within the next four weeks. And uh, and what we're trying to do, Barry, is make it invitational. We're not trying to sell stuff. We're here to serve, not sell. And and I really, really, really believe and, and, and feel that. And the right people come along. And some people, you know, they're not ready for the message. Some people don't want the message. Some people love the message. Um, and we're not looking for the seminar junkies. Uh, we're looking for people who are ready to kind of roll up the sleeves, do a bit of work, 
and, and really make some genuine, sustainable change in their own lives. And I'm just a catalyst. I'm just a guide. People give me way too much credit for the work that I do, in my personal opinion, and the changes they've made. I'm a guide. I ask the right, maybe sort of the right, the t- I ask the tough questions and create the environments. And that, that's really what I do. Um, I hope I'm not doing myself an injustice, but that's what I do, and that's what I love to do, and that's what I'm here to do. Great. Well, Philip, thanks for taking the time for this. And what I'd say to anyone listening is if anything here has resonated with you, definitely go and, and check out Philip's website or just you know start with the book Rich on Paper, Poor on Life. And you know, as I say, the reason that I find Philip so effective is because I think he just strips away a lot of stuff and really goes to the core of it. And this is why you know, you'll find him working with such a variety of different people are all attracted to him for this particular reason. So again, Philip, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, and Barry, just just very quickly, I know you didn't, I mean, there was no conversations beforehand, and this is something I genuinely want to do as opposed to feel I I need to do. Uh, You know, irrespective of whether people come across and look at my book or anything else, I think they're in great hands, and I've been very fortunate to get to know you, um, you know, over the last couple of years, and and I will say this publicly and honestly, I don't say it um, in in many, I don't get the chance because it's not necessarily always true, but, you know, you're an authentic guy, you're the real deal, and you you do care about people, and for that reason, I'm I'm very honoured to be here today, and... uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, and giving me this space. Good. Well, thanks for saying that. I am, you know, I'm since our our last workshop, I'm working on it. But uh, as you say, it's an ongoing process, you know, bit by bit. Yeah, well, there, 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 therein lies your honesty because you're 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 open to admitting you're not perfect. Where most gurus, teachers, speakers, educational people, authors, or whatever, you know, unfortunately, they they they're they're not able to allow people to see the 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 vulnerability as well as the philosophy. And I think that's the beautiful thing you have, and I hope it never changes. Um, is that you allow people to see that? Listen, I'm not perfect, and neither is Philip McKernan. And and I think we should always always keep that because it's respectful to ourselves and to the people that we serve as well great i think i'll have you every week philip (laughs) (laughs) done Done. okay great thank you take care thank you very much